0: We're going to pick up where we left off last week, as we've been in this series, is understanding of who we are in Christ, and primarily what it means to be created in His image. And as we've we've looked at it, we, we see that man was intended to be God's representative, and that's still true today. And that when man sinned initially, Israel eventually becomes God's representative, and then we see Jesus, as a man, come down and become God's representative. And because of what Jesus did... Because of the work that He performed and the authority that He has, now you and I as believers are God's representative on the earth. Everywhere we go, when we take on the name of the Lord and we say that we are Christians, we are taking the Word of God with us. We're taking the power of the Spirit of God with us. We do this whether we realize it or not, whether we're living it or not, whether we act like it or not, we truly are. It's not like just because you've got... Person A, who is what we would consider a sold out, on fire Christian, who's witnessing to people all the time, praying for people all the time, and Christian B, who is also born again, and but doesn't witness all the time, maybe rarely ever, or doesn't pray for the sick, or doesn't do these different things, it's the same spirit in them. The exact same thing. What's the difference? It's a representation. It's the recognition of who you are. In Matthew chapter 28, it says, and Jesus came and spoke to him, saying, all authority, has been given to me in heaven and earth. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And as we see what Jesus is saying, he's essentially saying is as a result of the work that he did, he ended the the old covenant. It's replaced with the New Covenant. It's a better covenant based on better promises. We no longer go to the presence of God. We are the presence of God. We don't have to go to a place to worship because this is the temple. And so therefore we worship God anywhere. And as a result of what He did, now we're made right with God. And so what did He tell them to do? He gave them a direct command. Make disciples of all the nations. That's all of them. Every single one of them. There's nobody that is left out of that, but he told his disciples, I want you to do this. Why? Because all authority has been given to me, and he's implying because of that, because you go in my name, you're baptizing them in my name, that authority is in your hands. Do with it what you will. And part of that is that we have to realize is the result of what has happened. You see, you and I are sitting here today as a result of somebody in our life who took this message seriously and did this very thing. You think about it, if you were to trace it back. Now, maybe it was a parent. And maybe mom and dad drug you to church against your will each and every week. But you know what? That's okay. But maybe your parents, I told you guys a story about how we came to faith my family my family tree is forever changed as a result of my mom's best friend growing up when i was growing up this lady was around all the time we were not living a christian life they most definitely were so she talked us into attending a church going to church my parents thought it was at least good that my kids would get involved their kids get involved they weren't anti-God they believed in God but the idea of being this born again and being a church every Sunday and doing and not being able to go and do the things like my dad liked to go bowling and when he was at when I'd go with him and I'd follow him there and I'd see the things he'd do and say and act like and all that you know I didn't think much of it it was just normal procedure really but thinking back it's like that's not my dad today and this lady just kept talking so she eventually convinces us to go to a church And it was boring. Boring. It was a small, little, old-school Baptist church. Nothing wrong with that. I told you I spent the majority of the time laying under the pews picking the gum off. From Lord knows how many decades that's been there. I did not eat it. I know you. Everybody has that. I did not eat the gum. But, man, it just got on there stuck. And you just get your finger in there and it finally pop off and all of that. The most exciting thing that ever happened is a lady passed out there and they had to call the ambulance. That was like a Holy Ghost revival for that Baptist church. I mean, it was like, woo! we're praying, we're moving, it was, but I didn't know any different. But this lady kept inviting my mom to come to her church, come with me, and she would talk to her all the time about it, and as a result, we all, we all got born again, we all got spirit filled, completely transformed, the family tree, and that lady was later killed in a car wreck, hit by a drunk driver, you know, but, but if she had not been so persistent, I cannot even imagine what my family would look like, it would be completely different. You see, when he says to go and make disciples, what do we do? We go and we make disciples. Well, how do we do that? There's an intentionality there. Every time this lady would come over to drink coffee or do whatever, take my mom somewhere, Jesus would come up. And my mom would politely discuss it. She wasn't really that interested. Because they kind of liked their life the way it was. It was to make a disciple. So what is a disciple? A disciple is somebody who has a direct association with an individual or a group. It is somebody that you can recognize by their speech, by their actions. They're a reflection of the values of that individual. So when we call ourselves Christians, we should be a reflection of the attributes that is Jesus because that is where the term comes from. And so if we started to think about this as us being here, And and what we do, what if the apostles had taken the same mindset that the modern church does today, primarily in first world countries? I'll say America, but pick a first world country, we're all the same. Where we just kind of arbitrarily share our faith every once in a while. We kind of do whatever we want, we justify whatever we want, but we're not intentional. What would the church today look like? Because as I told you guys, where this guy, he's going to share some of these stories and he's got a video he's going to show you guys, not the one I was describing, But when they give their life to Christ, it costs them. Their life's on the line. What about here? What about other parts of the world? No. We don't face that. And so there's no way of, there's no sacrifice. And so when we look at what Jesus is saying, He gave His disciples, He said, I'm giving you a job. And as we talked about last week, when He went and He called them, He called them. In John chapter 14, verse 12, He says, Most surely I say, He who believes in Me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than he... These he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So whatever Jesus did, we are to do. In Acts 2.22, we see that men of Israel, hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attest you by God, uh, by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, as Peter's talking here. You see, what we have done is we've turned Christianity in some sort of a social club. This is not true all over the world, but it is certainly true in America, and it is most definitely true in most first world countries. And the reason for that, in my speculation, is there's, a, there's a, a myriad of reasons, but one of the main things is because it's so easy. When something is easy, you don't have to put in much effort. If you don't like the job you have, how hard is it to get another one right now? It's not very hard. You can go do anything. I mean, right now, the qualifications to go get a job is basically have a pulse. That's about it. They'll hire anybody so whatever it is that's going on it's not difficult here but that's not true everywhere and so to become a Christian the way we pitch it we're like okay if you were to die would you go to heaven or would you go to hell that is how we pitched it and I I just witnessed this very thing happen this week as I was meeting with the pastor and I love this person I love this person dearly okay but I really believe in in relationships and developing relationships with people over time as they begin to know you and know what you're about and they know where you stand where you're looking for opportunities to turn to the gospel but not in their face with it each and every moment i've seen that to be more effective long term you can get anybody to stop what they're doing and pray a prayer with you sometimes it's just to shut you up so you'll go away but i'm looking to make true disciples and therefore it takes a little bit of time at times and there's a time and a place with everything. But this individual that I was with as we were going to grab lunch, and, and, and call, he carries tracks with them everywhere. Nothing wrong with that, right? I appreciate the man's heart. And sometimes he'll put their tip inside of the track. Well, they're at least going to open it because they want the cash, right? I respect that. I understand that. But as I was having a conversation with somebody, he comes up and he says, hey, we all have a date. It's with death. The one thing we can guarantee in life though is we're all going to die. And if you were to die today, do you know if you'd go to heaven or if you'd go to hell? Now it's a fair question to ask. Because his heart is right. I am trying to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, if we die today, we are going to heaven or we are going to hell. It is one or the other. Right, There is no in-between. I don 't care what denomination you grow up in. there's not a holding place for you to hang out until you pay some alms or some candles are lit, or you know whatever. The thing was is that conversation got so awkward and it made it impossible to move on from that. Heart right don't love the methods, but the thing that, and this is what got me thinking is that Every church that I can think of, without exception, when we talk about this, we pitch it as if, come into this group and then you'll go to heaven. But that is not what Jesus did. Jesus never went around to say, come to me, be my follower, and you will live in heaven. He never said that. Yes, it's implied, but those weren't His words. He said, come to me and you'll be a fisher of men. When Paul has that encounter with Jesus, what happens? He said, he has to know all the things that he will suffer for my name's sake. What if we pitched it like that? What if we were standing in India, in a Hindu world, and we said, now listen, you need to give your life for Christ. Because it is true that there is heaven and there is hell. But when you come in, you need to know it's going to cost you everything. You may be killed as a result of this decision. They may come, they may let you live, but they may take everything that you have. They may kill your children. They may kill your spouse. They may do something. They may just beat you harshly. And then when you recover, they may beat you again for the privilege. But it's true that Jesus is Lord. That you come to Him, you can lead people to truth. That's not a really good bow your head, close your eyes, raise your hand prayer. But that's what Jesus was saying. When the disciples made disciples, that was what they were getting. That what they were living. Every one of the apostles died a martyr's death. And the thing is, is we have to understand that, is ultimately those people willingly gave up their lives. They didn't lay the, or they weren't taken from them. They willingly gave them up. When did they do that? the moment they became a follower of Christ. But that's not how we think, And that's not what we do. And that's not our message. See, our message is one of comfort. It's one of peace. We grab our Bibles and look for things that bring us joy and bring us comfort and bring us peace. And Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a soul. Where did we get it all wrong? We live our lives to fulfill our desires, and at times, we'll call them God. Those are God's desires. We will justify anything to fit our nature, our carnal appetites. I have met, true story, Christian swingers. If you don't know what that means, please see me after service. I will explain it. And they said, but people are coming to Christ as a result of our actions. I'm like, I bet they're coming to see you for sure. But what do we do? If they say this prayer, now they're in our group. This is the problem. Is we're chasing our desires. This man that you guys will meet next week, and I don't know him very well. But I know exactly what happened as he began to tell his his story, his testimony. As he came to faith, what does it cost him? cost him everything. And what has he done? Devoted his life to telling people that this is going to cost you everything. You see it all over the world. It's just not here. Because it costs you nothing. And so I want to show you guys like a little bit today of some statistics that are out there. Because if you think about this, if I ask you, show of hands, I'm not going to do this. How many of you guys have ever led somebody to the Lord? I'm not talking about your children, but I mean going out and making disciples. Your children are important. Those are little disciples. They act like you act. Your kid's a brat. You probably are too. Don't look at my kids, okay? I know what y'all are thinking, like, yeah, we get it. Makes perfect sense. But, but I mean... The, that, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like, I have led somebody to Christ and it wasn't from a pulpit. But I went out to talk to some a neighbor, friend, family member, co-worker, whatever. The hands that would go up would surprise you. As little as they would be. Now, here's the thing. They did a poll a few years ago. 95% of people who called themselves Christians, said they had never led another person to the Lord. 95%. 80% of all of those same people polled said they do not consistently witness for Christ. Think about that. It says less than 2% were involved in some sort of a ministry of evangelism. And 71% did not give any bit towards financing different ministries and different things now think about that that's a staggering statistic you and i are all here as a result of somebody else's life being given up every one of us i mean you think about it there is nothing that we do on our own you know it was one of the things that a few years ago the original pastor of this church built this building primarily by himself there are a lot of volunteers that help put this thing together but he would come down here at four o'clock in the morning and hang drywall and mud drywall because apparently the man didn't sleep and and all of that and as a result of that you and i have a nice facility to go to but somebody had to build it when i go over to uh el salvador with jim and alma you know what's beautiful they've already dug all the wells they've already built all the structures we stay in a crown plaza we eat pupusas until we can't eat any more pupusas right We're not roughing it. Now we're just ministering it because for 20 plus years they went down there and did all of that hard work. Many of you have been there and helped. Many of you have helped finance that whole thing. But now when we go down there it's just ministering. It's like anywhere else. Just with a lot more Spanish involved. See the hard part's been done. The legwork is there. We're all a result of somebody else giving their life to Christ. I know my heritage and i know people that have been changed as a result of that i mean the the lineage you talk about coaching trees imagine if you had evangelism trees how far back would that go but then once we get in we act like we are done that's all we have to do so now as we look at this we're like well 95 percent that's a lot have never won a single soul to christ and yet it was direct commandment of jesus Go into all the world and make disciples. And 95% of those that were polled has never led one. With 80% of them saying they don't consistently witness. I think I found two of the problems. Our job is not to close the sale. Our job is to consistently be God's witness in His imager on this earth. Now, they also pulled a denomination, and when they did this, it said 63% of the leadership of this denomination, including all the deacons and elders and any of the uppy-ups that you would have, had not led one stranger to Jesus in in the last two years. Not one. Now, here's the thing. I can stand on a stage, I can preach a message, and I can give an altar call. And people will respond to that. Whether they gave their life to Christ or not. But that's different. I'm not even counting that aspect. Because that's implied. The hard part is when you're out there and you're talking to people each and every day. When you're out there making disciples, when you're out there talking to those who aren't believers and you're keeping those young believers in your life and you're showing them the ropes, the good, the bad, the ugly. That's different. We have taken evangelism that was intended for the individual and we put it on the church structure and said, here, you, host of an event, have a concert, give a message at the end. I don't want to have to do anything. We've taken discipleship, which is individuals taking individuals on a journey of growth and maturity and spirituality. Seeing the good things you do and the bad things you do. And we've turned it over to the church structure and said, here, have a class. None of those things are wrong. It's just the fact that we have taken our onus and put it on something that was never designed to carry it. When the body of believers come together, it's not just simply to absorb, it is to absorb and then send them out. But we don't do that. We absorb and then we come back and we absorb and then we come back and then we absorb some more. But we're not active, we're not sending. Of those leaders, 49% of them spend zero time in an average week ministering outside of the church. 89% of the leadership had zero time reserved on their list of weekly priorities to go out and evangelize 99% of the leadership ministries believe that every Christian including leadership has been commanded to preach the gospel to a lost world well isn't that amazing 99% believe that that we're supposed to go out and do it and very few of them actually are 97% believe that if the leadership had greater conviction and involvement in evangelism, that it would be an example for the church to follow. And 96% of the leadership believe that their churches would have grown faster if they would have been more involved in evangelism. And that's interesting to me there too. Is it true that a church will grow as a result of evangelism? Absolutely. Is it true also that we were never designed to grow a church? Think about this. Now, you guys aren't involved in all of this stuff on a day-to-day basis, but let me tell you what's out there there is multiple programs books you can buy all of that how to grow your church in x amount of days they're all over change your name change your logo have your branding right make your message get out there you got to have so, so, certain social media presence you got to have certain things out there and doing and all of this kind of stuff and yet what is the church the gathering of believers to do to equip and to send that's it To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's what we gather to do. Who are the saints? Look around. Me too. It's all of us. What have we turned it into? I want to go. I want to sing some songs. I want to listen to a message. And I want to go about my life. You see, this is the problem. This is where we've got it wrong. Is that we are not on mission for Christ. We want to hear about people who are. Sometimes we're willing to write a check to send somebody to go do the work. I mean, you think about this. Now, if you have the ability to, I don't know, change your water here. Not your water. Let's just make it something even simpler than that. Change your garbage disposal out. Okay? Now, you have to make a decision. Do I really want to do this? Most of us are happy to write a check to let somebody else crawl up under a cabinet that was designed way too small for that kind of thing to be in there, including me. Because they did not have me in mind when they said, oh, here's how you do this. We're willing to pay to let somebody else do it, even if we know how to do it. We do the same thing in evangelism. We outsource it. What would happen to our communities if we insourced it? You see, a few years ago, I say a few, it's been probably 15 plus now, but I got asked to be a keynote speaker at a baccalaureate. If you don't know what a baccalaureate is, it's a a right before graduation thing where uh, the Christians come together. This is a very well attended. There'll be people from all over the community that are going to be there. They asked me to come in there and speak. And I said, sure, I'd be glad to. And I had an entire message uh, laid out. It was dealing with graduation. It was kind of, you know, standard. It was nothing nothing fancy but they had a couple of other speakers get up before me that were sharing you know a little 10 15 minute thing and this one lady got up there and I believe that she had come from a Lutheran background but don't quote me on that it's kind of irrelevant but she got up there and she said you know I don't normally do things like this because I believe that our faith is personal and that is between you and God we don't have to tell the world or show the world because it's just me And it's my Savior. It's my Jesus. Well, suddenly, I had a new message. Now, I don't know if that was from the Holy Spirit or just Chris is sometimes a little stubborn. Could be either one. But I got up there and I said, there is nothing personal about your faith journey. Because every person who calls himself Christian is on mission for Jesus to do what he did and to say what he said and if you internalize any of this and make it not about reaching those around you you don't worship the same Jesus I do. There were several amens there was one that was not real happy but the thing is is like why do you believe that she believes it because it is what has been told to her And what she believes. And if it is just this personal relationship and this is all there is to it, then there is no conviction that I have to live it out in a certain way. To share it. One of the biggest tragedies that ever happened was a quote that came out several years ago that says, share the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. What did we just say? Just live your life, let people watch. You don't have to say nothing. Is that what Jesus did? Is that what the apostles did? No. No. So part of our problem is that we just want to phone it in. We don't want the, the I guess, the, the burden of being the one. We want other people. We love hearing those exciting stories where they have these big evangelism tents set up in different parts of the world and thousands come to Christ and, and people are being healed and all of these things are happening. We love to hear about that. But what if we were the ones doing it? And you don't have to be the guy on the platform, but what if you're the one out here and I'm ministering to this one and I'm ministering to that one? And what if I was the one that just went around my neighborhood and I just went and met all my neighbors? You know, we don't do that anymore. You know, when you moved in the neighborhood, they used to bring you pie. You know what they do now? They call the cops on you when you're shooting fireworks off. Ask me how I know. But I know the chief of police really well now. He's my buddy. But the thing is, it's like, What if we just went back around and just got to talk to these people and just say, is there anything I'd pray for you about? Is there anything you need? When we drive by and we see some old lady out mowing her grass and we pull over and say, would you please go sit down and I'll finish this for you? What if we started getting back to a service mindset? You see, I have a theory. And I think it has bled into the church, but it did not come from the church. But this is my theory. We just went through a pandemic. You can have your opinion on that, anything that you want. But I think we have a a pandemic that's been going on for far longer and it continues to this day. It's a pandemic of mediocrity. Where we do just enough to get by. If you've ever had employees, then you will certainly relate to this one. Because employees are notorious for doing just enough. And if something goes wrong, well, it's not my fault. That's not my job. I mean I'll give you an example of this. Years ago when I had a lawn care business, I had employees and one we had checklists that they had to do. And it was maintenance and it was before they started the equipment up because the equipment's not cheap. And they were supposed to check the oil every day before they started the equipment because if it was low, you add some and you drive it out. So one of the guys, I get a phone call about an hour after the day started, mower quit running. We went out there, checked the oil, Wasn't any oil in it. He's like, well, I checked that. So you ran out of oil in the last hour. Yeah, yeah, I did it. He didn't do it. Why not? Doing just enough to get by. Never go above and beyond the call of duty. You hire people now. Everybody wants a paycheck. Nobody wants a job. Nobody wants to work. Nobody wants to put in the effort to do more. We want to just get by. We do this in our lives we'll go on, on, we'll take a job that's just easier. We'll go and do something. Oh yeah, they pay a little bit more and I can just do this and it'll be easy. And then I get all this free time and stuff. Okay, well, what are you doing with that free time? How are you making it count? I mean, if, if God told the Israelites to work six days and take one day off, then where did the 40-hour work week come from? But that's what we talk about. I gotta have my downtime. I gotta have my entertainment time. I gotta have all this other stuff. Those things are valuable. They are important. But they shouldn't rule our life. And that's the problem. We're looking to be entertained. We're looking to be catered to. We're looking to feel good. That's in society. But what about in the church? Think about it. What do churches do today now? We're trying to attract people to come in. Well, how do we do that? You Got to have a killer band. Got to have a killer website. you Got to have coffee. And I'm okay with that part. Like, we got to have all of this stuff... That's going on. We got to have this program. We got to have that program. We we wear ourselves out. And the question is, why are we doing it? We're doing it to get more people to attend our services. Because if more people attend our services, we must be doing something right. But it's not effective. We're not making disciples. So, for the individual person and in a work life type of thing. They typically will do just enough. This current crop of employees going out there into the world, it's it's a major issue. I hear about it all the time from people that I talk to. I've got friends that got businesses everywhere, talk to any business owner. Finding somebody who will own what they do and sit there and I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get the job done and get it done well because I take pride in what I do, those people are hard to find anymore. Most people are I'm gonna punch that clock. And I'm going to go, and I'm going to do just enough to get by, and at the end of the day, I'm going home. And I gave this example. I had an uncle who was a, a, a union tile setter. He traveled all over the country setting tile. And I remember the first time I was having a conversation with him because I, he, he moved into Nebraska for a little while, and he was telling me one time, he's, he's like, they had set breaks, and you didn't miss your break. And what would happen is, is if they had thin set on the floor that you have a certain amount of time, to uh, you know, get the tile on there. That bell rang, or it was time for break. They'd leave. Didn't matter because if that thin set was hard when they got back, somebody else's job chipped that off. Not his problem. If he ran out of tile, there was groups that would bring material to them. And if he ran out of material, he'd just sit there and wait for somebody to bring him material. Sometimes it was hours. Sometimes an entire day. And I just looked at him, I said, well, you'd never work for me. I said, you'd be the first one fired. And he's like, I'm not doing more than I have to. Because if I do more, they don't pay me more. There is the attitude. There's the heart of it. See, it's taking ownership. But what if we did that in evangelism? What if we started to believe what Jesus actually said and what Jesus actually did is that my neighbor's will never have a relationship with Christ if I'm not the one that speaks to them. My family members will never have a relationship with Christ if I'm not the one that speaks to them. And I'm gonna do it through my words, but I'm also gonna do it through my actions. Because they're gonna drag us and try to drag us into things that maybe we shouldn't be a part of. And they're gonna try to pull us away. It's like, hey, we're gonna have a family get-together on Sunday at 10 a.m. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, we'll be there as soon as church is over. Because to them it doesn't matter. But what if you say, No, 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 no. This is the time where the body of Christ comes together. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put value on that. I was like, So I appreciate it, but we'll be there just as soon as we're done. What if we begin to change that mindset? You see, in Acts chapter one, verse eight he says, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You will receive power and you will be witnesses. It'll, in, in another way, it'll say, you will be my witness on this earth when you receive power. See, we have a job to do. Why we are not engaged in evangelism is, is partly, and I, I believe, is because we're not engaged in spiritual warfare. You see, we don't engage in spiritual warfare because here we don't face it, or at least we're not aware that we're facing it in the same way. The idea of spiritual warfare and the attacks of the enemy are throughout Scripture, including the New Testament. But here, in America and most first world countries, we don't deal with, you know, witch doctors. and We don't deal with voodoo and we don't deal with some of that. So we tend to disregard it. But yet, as a believer who is being intentional about what God has called us to do, We should be aware of our surroundings at all times, knowing what we are supposed to do. So in Acts chapter 10, verse 34, it says that Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with them. So what did Jesus do? Well, he was anointed by Jesus. So he was set apart by God. Excuse me, I said that wrong. With the Holy Spirit and with power. What did he do? He went about doing good, one thing, and he healed all who were oppressed by the devil, another thing. What if we were doing the same works that he was doing? Is that what we're supposed to be doing? Yeah, we should go about doing good and we can look into what that is and healing all who are oppressed of the devil. Oppressed of whom? Healing all who are oppressed of the devil. A spiritual warfare. Because the devil has them in their clutches, but who has the key to let them go? You and I do. Why aren't we doing it? Why are we not angry that people are tormented? Why are we not mad that people are dying of cancer? In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent and bold towards you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with the confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh." The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So we don't walk according to flesh. Why? Because we have to have a spiritual warfare mindset. We think carnally. We go around, we just talk to people, we just see people, we just, but we never are thinking like, well, wait a minute. We're walking in this flesh, but we don't war according to the flesh. We war, we battle in the spiritual realm. You see, ultimately, that's where our authority lies, is in the spiritual realm. That's where nothing can stand against the power of God, because He's a defeated foe. But you see here two different things. We see that what Jesus did, we know what Jesus told us, and we see example here from Paul telling us that, hey... We need to be on God here. We do not battle according to the flesh. We do it spiritually. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10, it says, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his mind. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. But we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities' powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. So therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be, be, may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand there, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all, taking the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to the sin with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Now why did he write this if we weren't in battle? Think about this. Put on the armor implies you don't have it on. That you have to put it on. That you can stand against what? Whatever the devil throws at you. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What do we wrestle against? Principalities, powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. How many people are truly wrestling against those right now? Most aren't. See, we've taken this internally like, well, this is in case they come against me. And that's true. But what if you put that on and you say, I'm going to battle right now. Because my neighbor needs Jesus. My mom needs Jesus. Maybe even your mother-in-law. I know some of you may think your mother-in-law deserves. But that ain't Jesus. I mean, think about it, guys. What if my co-workers need Jesus? What if I'm going to put on that armor and I'm going to go to battle and I'm going to do exactly what Jesus did? What did Jesus do? He went around doing good and healing all who were bound by the devil. You and I put on the armor. It's like, what am I going to do? I'm going to go about doing good and I'm going to heal all who are bound by the devil. What if we started doing that? What if we stopped this mediocre nonsense? What if we said, I am not going to be like everybody else. If I go to work, I'm going to outwork everybody because I do my work unto the Lord. And I'm going to just be accountable and I'm going to do more than enough. And they're going to see somebody different through my actions. But then, as I get to know them, I'm going to tell them about why I act different. Why I behave different. Why God's standards are my standards. You see, Jesus was laying all of this out for His apostles. Do you guys realize why they followed Him around for so long? To get them ready. To equip them. I'm getting ready to go. Be ready. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, it says, Then He called His twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. And he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And whoever will not receive you when you go out of that city, shake the very dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they departed and went through the towns preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. What was the gospel? Well, if you want to live a life of fulfillment and you want eternity in heaven, (coughs) let me tell you how we're going to get there. That's not what they said. They went about on battle to do the work that Jesus was doing. Why did he send out the twelve? They needed to know how to do it. Because eventually, he's sending all of them out. He's preparing them. Everything that Jesus did in the, in the idea of disciple making, everywhere he went, it's like, you see that tree there? You see that mountain? That's what they did. In order to do that, they had to be around him. He's preparing them because he's getting ready to go. Now, go to Luke chapter 10, verse 1. It says, after these things the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before His face into every city and place where He Himself was about to go. Then He said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Now stop there. The harvest is plentiful. Why are the laborers few? Because they're sitting at home playing video games. They're watching movies. They're enjoying their offering. go your way, behold I send you out as lambs among wolves carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals and greet no one along the road but whatever house you enter first say peace to this house and if a son of peace is there the peace will rest on and if not it will return to you and remain in the same house eating and drinking such things as they give for the labor is worthy of his wages do not go from house to house whatever city you enter and they receive you eat such thing to set before you heal the sick there and say to them the kingdom of God has come near to you isn't it interesting that the kingdom of God and healing seem to be synonymous but whatever city you enter, they do not receive you. Go out into the streets and say, The very dust of your city which cleans us, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, I know this, that the kingdom of God has come near you. But I say to you, there will be more tolerable in the day of Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Therese, woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which, had been done, which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades, he who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. And he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Now we'll, we'll build upon that later. But what is he saying here? You're my representative. If they hear you, they heard me. If they reject you, they reject me. And if they reject me, they reject him who sent me, which was the Father. Verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. They were surprised by this. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Why did he send out the 70? Because he wasn't going to be there for them to come back to at some point. He wanted them to be prepared to go and do exactly what they were set out to do. And then he said something, and this is interesting. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. He who rejects me, rejects the Father. That's fascinating to me. Because now we see a true representation coming into play. This is what he was doing. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 4, last one. It says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now we are in latter times. Okay? We're more latter than they were latter. But we give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. What if the mediocrity that we are seeing right now inside of the church and the world around us is a part of this deceiving spirit and the doctrine of demons. What if that spirit is saying, they don't pay you enough. You need to go do something else. That's not your responsibility. If it was, they'd pay you to do it. What if, what if they said, hey, you don't go talk to your neighbor. they somebody might get to them. What if they said, he's like, I know you want to share the gospel, but what if they ask you a question you don't know how to answer? You see, when a disciple begins to mature into what we would consider a spiritual adult, a heart change takes place. There are three things that seem to happen, and this is true of maturing physically as well as spiritually. They move from being self-centered to other-centered. Let me say that again. You move from being self-centered to other-centered. If your biggest gripe is you don't like the music, that's self-centered. If your biggest gripe, and it's keeping you from doing things, is you don't like the sermon, that's self-centered. But when your other-centered is like, what if others are being reached by this? What if others are enjoying this? You go from being self-centered to other-centered. They become God-centered in their motivation. In other words, everything I do is for God. And so it may be uncomfortable and I may not want to, but I'm going to do it for him. I'm going to do my work to him. I'm going to live my life for him. And the last part is they have a desire to serve and to lead. It suddenly becomes about serving instead of being served. Something happens in the maturation process. You see that both financially as they begin to, they give into the work of the ministry where they weren't before because before they're like, well, I got to keep this. I got to be able to pay this bill. I got to be able to do this stuff. It's like, no, no, no. God said something about this. I'm going to just do this in obedience because people being reached is far more important than my Netflix subscription. It's far more important. That's going from self-centered to God-centered, to other-centered. I want to serve. I will come in here into the church and then we gather together and I will serve in this way and I will do this and I will lead this. I'll do whatever it takes to free up so people can be reached. It begins to change. See, we've got to begin to look at this a little different. We're going to drill in on this a little bit more next week. But understand this, churches, we've got to begin to take self-reflection. Because there's a two-part world that we are in. We are in a spiritual world, but we are of this world. We're in this world right now. Where we're living our lives and doing our things, but everything we say and do is a reflection of God when we call ourselves Christians, We have to be better and do better. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word we thank you that it is true and in all things Lord that we can count on you Lord I just pray that you just burn our hearts to represent you to live our lives to the fullest for you that every day is an opportunity to give glory to you and that people will be reached by our actions and by our words Lord that we have open doors that we're willing to walk through That we will not simply exist in this life, but we will thrive in this life to do your work and what you've called us to do. So Lord, be glorified in every aspect of what we say and do. It's in your mighty name. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.